This is Masters Cast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast, episode number one for Sunday, October 16th, 2005. Okay, this is the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast. We love He-Man and She-Ra, and there has to be one because there's one for Harry Potter. Actually, there's more than one for Harry Potter. And there's ones for Star Trek, and there's probably ones for Star Wars, which I didn't look up because I'm really not a fan that I want to listen to that stuff. But if you're downloading <laughs> if you're downloading this podcast, you're obviously a fan of He-Man and She-Ra, or you want to know more about He-Man and She-Ra, or you're like, why would three people want to sit and talk about cartoons and toys from the 80s? I mean, but why wouldn't you? I know I want to. So everyone else should want to, right? In case you don't know, uh, podcasting, according to Wikipedia, is uh, just a method of publishing audio and video programs on the internet. Uh, and there's uh, easy ways to subscribe to our podcast, which my two co-hosts will tell you about now. You can subscribe uh, via iTunes if you are using that. And uh, to do that, go into your iTunes music store and do a search in the podcast category for Masters Cast, two words, and uh, we should come up in your search, and you can subscribe right from there. Download and listen on your PC or Mac, or upload the files to your iPod or other MP3 device. And for other information on how to subscribe using different free services, go to masterscast.com for further information. She makes a valid point. This podcast is completely free. It's not charging any money. And now I just noticed that we haven't introduced ourselves yet. So, starting off with me, since I'm speaking, I'm John Callis, also known as the Shadow in the world of Masters of the Universe fans. I've been a fan ever since I can remember. Still here since about 1997 or so. I got involved in the online community, and I never left because I'm just that annoying. (laughs) You know we love you. Of course. What can I say? Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Katie? All right. My name is Katie Carty. I go by Rainbow Bright online and in person. No, not really. Sometimes, <laughs> though. Um, I also have been part of the He-Man community since 97. Uh, right out of high school, I found Adam Tyner's website and joined the mailing list. And I did take a little hiatus here and there. I didn't constantly stay in the community, but pretty much I've stuck around and... Uh, yeah, a lot of fun people. Keeps me coming back. And my name is Josh DeLioncourt, and uh, I go by Just Lioncourt in the He-Man.org uh, community of Masters fans and uh, elsewhere on the internet as well. Um, I have uh, been involved in the Masters community online since about 1990, late late 1995, when I, or maybe early 1996, when I found Adam Tyner's website. And uh, have been involved in one form or another um, through the Scrolls of Grayskull and uh, the Guardians of Grayskull mailing list, and uh, then later on with uh, He-Man.org. And uh, I'm the eldest of this group, and hearing that you two have been involved since 1997 made me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, been a fan since uh, the Tune and Toys uh, started back in uh, 1982 and 83. Well, we can all just say that we're all in various stages of our 20s. Uh, yeah, so, so we're, not, we're, not, we're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting, we all mentioned that the, uh, the mailing list is uh, basically where we all originated you know, as fans. And I think that's a really good thing to bring up because I'd really like to go over, since podcasting is such you know, a new thing to the internet, although really not new, but really publicized now, that it, I'd like to point out that He-Man has really you know, kept up with the times. Uh, on the internet, because what did we have first? Is that, would everyone subscribe? You mentioned the scroll, Scrolls of Grayskull, which was just a, a newsletter. Right, mm-hmm. I think that and the um, Adam Tyner's website started about the same time. Yeah, I, I must have, I think by the time I, I had gotten online that the mailing list and scrolls were running at the same time. Yeah, same here. Basically, Scrolls of Grayskull was just a newsletter that... Uh, Adam Tyner would put together, and I, I don't know, he might have had some help from uh, other fans, and he'd just send it out to, you know, a list of subscribers, and, you know, you could send, um, you know, some opinions in it, there'd be some, you know, He-Man related articles, they'd usually um, have a picture with it, like, oh, look, this uh, particular frame 
Swift Winds lost his hair. Uh, I remember that one. <laughs> and you know, I seem to remember there was some fan art as well. Oh, probably yeah. Uh, sent out with those, as I recall. It's real sketchy for me to remember. I have all of the I have all of the issues still of scrolls, but I don't have the attachments uh, for them. I remember one time we put uh, Prince Adam's. Well, we didn't. Someone did put Prince Adam's head on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Uh, when he had the talk show on Cartoon Network, they put his uh, head in the little. That TV. wasn't real. No, I don't think it was real. Was it real? I was under the impression it was, but maybe. Yeah, not. I'm kind of with Katie. I thought that was a real thing, but it, it very easily might not have been. I guess, but I I was under the impression that was a real thing. Oh wow! Because I mean, it looked just it looked like a screen capture from the cartoon. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it did. Huh. Maybe one of our listeners can clear that up for us later. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, but let's see. Um, so Adam Tyner's website was basically the you know the biggest thing until uh, Busted Tunes episode review site came along, and I think I always visited that a little bit more because I HeMan.org always seemed to focus on the well Adam Tyner site before it became HeMan.org usually focused more on the action figures as like basically what their site was about, and then as we got to Busted Tunes site, it was more it was all about the cartoons, and I was always more of a fan of the cartoons. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, same here. And wasn't he uh, working with someone else, Zadok? Yeah, Zadok. A- uh, a- I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I didn't <laughs> want to mess it up. But don't worry, we didn't forget about you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, that was uh, a really well put together site. I do remember that. Yeah, it yeah, was. I remember, uh, I'm just going to say, I, re- I do remember the uh, the Tunes site. I don't remember visiting it uh, all that often, although I'm a huge fan of the cartoons. The uh, the the tunes and toys have always sort of been an equal uh, thing for me. You didn't visit it that often, and you even got to write a guest review, if I recall correctly. Well, I did do that. I I'd <laughs> forgotten about that actually. That was uh, that was a very long time ago. That must have been nineteen ninety seven, I think, oh. maybe ninety eight. Um, I got to write a uh, one of the reviews for the episode "Not So Blind" for various reasons that I suppose we can get into at some point down the line. Um, that sounds cool. Yeah, I think I might have that one. Uh, I have a lot of the uh, episode reviews saved, not with the pictures or the sound files that they would include, but I have the actual text reviews for most. Is that site still around? Uh, no, actually, once Adam Tyner and uh, Matt's site merged together, uh, which was what what was his site called? Hero Hero or something. I don't remember. I'm very sketchy uh, on that one. I don't think I visited it that yeah, much. No I offense. Remember. All I remember is it was on Hypernet. Uh, but anyway, Hypenet. two yeah. websites merged. Adam Tyner's being basically the po- most popular, you know, He-Man site at the time. They merged and became He-Man.org, which is, you know, where we all basically, you know, chat at and hang out. It's um, the hub of it, the Masters community. Very good way to put it. It's, it's definitely the hub. And then the episode review site was eventually merged also with He-Man.org. And, uh, oh, okay. So a lot of, I think a lot of at least the episode synopsis are up. Yeah, but it's I still in the process of merging. Yeah, it's still in the, it's still in the <laughs> lengthy process of merging. And one day, one day it'll, it'll come up. Yeah, it's a lot of information to merge, I suppose. Yeah, and of course, like all other internet uh, fans, He-Man fans have embraced message boards and chat rooms. I know all three of us basically visit the He-Man message boards every day and the chat room, basically. We're I, addicted. We are addicted. <laughs> all right, so now that we know what he, why He-Man's on the internet, because he's just so good and so compelling to watch, play with the toys, etc., I thought we'd delve into, actually, the history of He-Man for anyone that does not really know or remember a lot of things from their childhood, and they might be checking out this podcast to sort of uh, relive some memories from their childhood since they might have played with He-Man. Um, since I was born, basically, when He-Man was coming out, I don't have a lot of real memories until She-Ra and the Horde came out. Most of my memories are buying toys and play sets and watching He-Man uh, side by side. But I was wondering, what are your guys... What, what stands out for you from your childhood? Well, being a bit um, older than John, I was exactly the target age, I think, when Masters started. I was about four and five years old when uh, it really uh, started getting going. Uh, My uh, first introduction to uh, the world of Eternia, as it were, was uh, through the uh, cartoon, which um, I remember very clearly being about four years old, maybe just turned five. 
and uh, sitting in front of the television waiting for the Super Friends to come on. Um, if anyone yeah. remembers that show, it's an absolutely atrocious show. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and uh, it didn't come on, and instead uh, the opening sequence to this new cartoon, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, began. And uh, basically from the moment that uh, in the opening sequence when Adam goes through his uh, transformation... I was hooked, and I watched the uh, episode that day, and immediately went out in the backyard and began pretending to be E-Man, and found a branch off of a tree, which <laughs> became my power sword for the next year and a half. That, that's uh, you brought up a, a good point. I'd just like to elaborate on real quick is the transformation sequence. Um, I know that that was basically the sole thing that probably I'm I'm just you know I'm just guessing here, but of all the toy properties. And stuff like that that I've really gotten into uh, over the years besides Batman, because he really didn't have this. But like Power Rangers, He-Man, She-Ra, they all had that transformation type sequence where they go from, you know, oh, look, I'm the teenager or, you know, semi-adult. And then, boom, now I'm this superhero. It's not like Superman where he'd just, you know, rip off his suit, but an actual like transformation sequence. And I think that really uh, drew a lot of kids in. Yeah, Absolutely. Point. Very, uh, very good point. It was very unique and very... Uh, and too, at the time, um, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, new fantasy, uh, you know, sword and sorcery style uh, cartoons for kids at that point in time, um, let alone one that was ta- taking it a step further and sort of combining the sci-fi element in as well. I agree. The only other cartoon... From that early age that I remember watching, uh, basically religiously, was Inspector Gadget. And, you know, it was definitely not to the caliber that He-Man and She-Ra were at. No, but it was a fun show. Oh, yeah, it was fun, definitely. But uh, I can see why, you know, He-Man, especially being launched, you know, the cartoon almost simultaneously with a toy line for advertising, could really make a mark with the buying power of, you know, children. And we should probably point it. Oh, go ahead, Katie. I'm sorry. It's all right. I was just going to say, you made a good point regarding it being very magical-oriented. Uh, most of the other quote-unquote boy cartoons of that time period were more technologically oriented, like Transformers, uh, Voltron, and even G.I. Joe is more of a war-type um, <laughs> scenario instead of magic. Um, the girl shows had a little bit of both, like with the Rainbow Bright, that was more magically-oriented but I don't know, most of them were actually separate from that as well. You know, Gem had more of the music thing going on. Uh, Strawberry Shortcake was just cutesy. Um, but He-Man was really the only magical-type cartoon that boys could enjoy, it seems like, from that time period. You make a valid point, because I really cannot think of really anything that used magic so much as He-Man did that I even watched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the only one that I can maybe uh, think of, and I, I'm don't, not even sure I've ever seen this cartoon, but just going by my uh, sketchy knowledge, I think in the late 70s, there uh, wasn't Blackstar sort of a sci-fi fantasy type thing, wasn't it? Um, was that more sci-fi? I have uh, an episode or two on tape. I can tell you truthfully that I could never actually sit through an entire episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what happened to me as well. It may have been. I don't know how its ratings were on, on the television, but I don't think it was that good. No offense to any fans, but, <laughs> but I personally could not sit through an episode. And hey, I can't sit through episodes of Transformers, GI Joe, Thundercats either. So, <laughs> Thundercats being the worst of the lot that you just mentioned. By oh, the way. I might. Oh, I'm, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd actually put Thundercats first in in that lot of rebels. <laughs> Thundercats for me, the problem was that the the voice acting was not on par um, with with even the cartoons back then, which by at large didn't have the best um, voice acting. With the uh, He Man and She Ra cartoons sort of being an exception, they had uh, they definitely had exceptional voice actors working on them um, compared to a lot of the other cartoons of the early to mid 1980s. Oh, I completely agree. I I think filmation. Even with their, you know, limited animation stock, uh, animation that they would use, really put together uh, good shows, uh, much better than the ones that I don't really want to mention again. <laughs> and one thing to point, 
one thing to point out as well is uh, that despite that uh, limited animation, uh, they really did not go uh, so much on the, you know, so much on the cheap with a lot of other aspects. I'm much more obviously much more familiar with the uh, audio on the shows than the um, than the animation and uh, the music written for those shows was definitely far and above uh, music of 90% of the cartoons during that same era. The voice acting. Um, was much better. The sound effects was much better. It was one of, if not the first, uh, cartoon to be recorded in stereo, and uh, so there was a lot of. Uh, and, and of course, we we didn't mention and probably should that uh, the He-Man was the first uh, cartoon series to be based off of a toy line. Yeah, since the FCC um, lifted a ban on that. You know, can't be brainwashing those children, but <laughs> now we're allowed to. Um, Josh, if you would, if you want to, if you would explain to the our listeners perhaps why uh, you're more familiar with the audio in the show, and if you could perhaps mention a special message that was sent to you. <laughs> um, yes, well, um, when I was six years old, I became very ill, and basically that resulted in the loss of my vision. By that point, I was already a huge Masters of the Universe Universe fan, uh, and uh, would watch the show religiously, uh, even through uh, uh, my illness. And uh, I have very, very uh, vivid memories of the animation of the show, um, of what the the characters and the toys and the cartoon looked like. And uh, but lost my vision at age six, and uh, was very fortunate that through that uh, time period that I was ill, uh, my parents actually contacted uh, Filmation, told them that I was a huge fan and what I was going through. And uh, John Irwin, the voice uh, actor who played He-Man in the cartoon, along with many other characters, and Alan Oppenheimer, who played Skeletor, um, also along with many other characters, sent me a voice tape uh, portraying He-Man and Cringer, respectively, uh, wishing me well and... uh, that was a, a very neat uh, experience and probably one of the more unique pieces of my classic Masters of the Universe collection. I think wow, that, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think that really shows how much you know Filmation did care about the show they were producing. I mean, not only with the morals at the end, but it, it was more than just a, a toy commercial as a lot of people try to dub a lot of the 80s um, action cartoons like that. Absolutely. Yes, and the writing um, on the show, which we didn't go into, was also um, a few notches above a lot of the uh, writing back then. Oh, I completely and, agree. Uh, yeah, and it, so the, and a lot of the people who worked on uh, He-Man for Filmation have gone on to have very uh, illustrious careers, like J. Michael Stravinsky and uh, Larry Who did Dettilio. Babylon 5. Right, exactly. So A lot of fans very... will know Larry Dettilio from Transformers. Right, Beast Beast Wars, and uh, Paul Dini, who was in you know Batman the animated series. Everyone loves Paul Dini, don't they? And he worked on He Man, including so. Paul Dini. Yeah, <laughs> including Paul Dini. Uh, <laughs> good old. You can Paul. edit that out in the post if you wish. <laughs> All right, Katie, how about some memories from childhood? Okay, um, as there are not you know, that many girls in the fandom. It is more of a male-based fan base. Not totally, but there's a few of us. You can thank my brother for my uh, love of He-Man when I was a child. Let's see, I was born in 79, so I was around the age group that it was targeted for, as well as a little older as he was. He's three years older than I am. And he was a big fan and since he was older, he got to dictate what came on the TV and what we <laughs> played with. So uh, I just, by default, uh, started watching the show. And actually, you know, as much as I wanted to hate it just to make him angry, I actually really liked it. And he started collecting the toys, and he would let me play with him. Uh, we'd have Castle Grayskull set up, and we'd pick sides. You know, we'd each have like six or seven figures and then battle them against each other. So I have a lot of fond memories of the toy line as well. Um, And then a few years later, when he actually outgrew it, he sold his collection to me for like $30. Hey, (laughs) that's not a bad price. 
Right? <laughs> I wish I still had them. Ah. They disappeared at one point, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, after Shira came on, I, of course, um, watched that one as well. And I think I probably forced him to as well as Payback. Uh, but it really wasn't much of a girly cartoon, so it was something he could enjoy as well. Uh, but I think I've stuck with it more than he has. He branched more off into the Transformers uh, fandom. He's, he still has his uh, Transformer collection and likes to display them around the house. Um, but I stuck more with the, the He-Man side of things. That's the one that stuck with me the most from childhood. Uh, and you make a good point that He-Man was appealing to both you know boys and girls since the whole reason they did the She-Ra spinoff was to capitalize on the gir- the you know small portion of girls that were mm-hmm. buying the He-Man toys. Yeah, recently uh, Roger Sweet, who uh, released a book called Mastering the Universe, mentioned that uh, he had seen a figure while working at Mattel back in the day that uh, somewhere around 40% of uh, He-Man action figures were actually bought for girls. Hmm. Yeah, I have not read the book yet. I've, I've read snippets from it. I have it sitting on the shelf here, but uh, maybe one day we'll have a an episode that delves into that book because I have a few opinions, but <laughs> I'll keep it to myself for now. If we didn't have opinions, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But uh, okay, how about moving on now? How about when She-Ra splashed on the scene? If you have any thoughts on that, because basically, you know, when I remember back, I'll, I remember She-Ra always being there. So I'm not the best one to form an opinion on how fans reacted back when they were kids when She-Ra started airing alongside of He-Man. Well, personally, I was very happy. Um, like I said, it was a little more girl-oriented, so it uh, it spoke to me a little bit more. And uh, it had some really cool characters as well that He-Man didn't have. Um, and better, well, I'm, I'm not going to say better toys, most definitely not. But it had some really cool playsets with the, uh, the Fright Zone. That was my favorite, actually. Um, I got that for Christmas one year and played with it constantly. Also that my little... favorite snake puppet oh my god the stories i could tell <laughs> but uh i never really collected many of the shira toys i think i had hordak and probably some of the villains but the girl toys i think glimmer was the only one i ever got because they were just small and looked like barbies and i wasn't into that <laughs> so uh i stuck with more of the the evil shira characters josh well i remember uh, pretty vividly um the the uh, onset of uh, She-Ra, they were playing commercials constantly for The Secret of the Sword, which was released theatrically. And I remember being quite excited to uh, to go see the the film. And uh, was there, um, I believe it was opening weekend, if not, it was very close to opening weekend, to uh, see the film. There was a lot of people um, in the theater where we went to see it, so I, it was uh, obviously... Uh, drawing some fans in, and uh, I remember uh, just sitting through the, the film and being in awe that uh, they had expanded the universe um, as much as they had and, and enjoying all the new characters. And uh, to me, the the whole Masters of the Universe versus the Princess of Power lines, uh, I've never really drawn much of a distinction um, in my mind. Filmation uh, through the cartoon merged the two so uh, completely that uh, I've always thought of uh, the both properties as sort of one uh, universe that, uh, you know, one doesn't really um, exist without the other. Yeah, there, there are a lot of fans, or at least a small, you know, vocal group that will try to say, you know, He-Man can exist without She-Ra, we don't even <laughs> need to pay attention to She-Ra, but, you know, in any type of property, you know, Look at Harry Potter, look at Star Wars, look at Star Trek. There are people that really dislike, say, a certain element from them. Like, oh, I don't like Star Trek, you know, Deep Deep Space Space Nine, for example. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, but you know what? You still know it exists in the Star Trek universe, you know? As much as you can try to erase it, it's still there. As much as some people just get annoyed by She-Ra or whatever their problem is with She-Ra, she's there. She even got, you know, an updated figure when, you know, He-Man came back recently. So, you know, just learn to love her. She's here. <laughs> exactly. And, Ador- of course, my uh, my sister, who had been um, a huge fan of the He-Man cartoon and watched that uh, with me, you know, also got heavily, heavily into the She-Ra thing. Um, had a lot of the She-Ra toys. Um, and, of course, I had a lot of the, 
villains that were featured on the Shira cartoon that were released under the uh, Masters banner, like Hordak and uh, other members of the uh, Evil Horde, and uh, so we had a lot of uh, fun sort of playing out those stories as well. You mentioned uh, seeing the Secret of the Sword in the in the theater. I did not see the Secret of the Sword in the theater, but I vividly remember I watched it when it when Shira premiered on the USA Network, and. I had already, you know, been watching She-Ra in syndication before this, and I guess I really didn't know her, the actual origin story. I, I mean, I must have known that she was originally a member of the Horde or whatever. But I remember vividly sitting when, when USA premiered the movie on television, and I still have the tape uh, of it today, and it still plays. Cool. Looks looks great. <laughs> Amazing. Let's see. After She-Ra, the next big splash in Masters of the Universe was the live-action movie that starred uh, Dolph Lundgren as He-Man and Frank Langella as Skeletor. Um, I went opening day to it. My dad took me there, and they actually were handing out a free Secret of the Sword comic book at the movie. Which I believe I got when I saw The Secret of the Sword. Yeah, I bet, like... it, was, I bet it was leftovers from that, <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, but I remember I saw the movie, and I, I, I remember coming out of the theater... And I don't know why I remember this because it was, you know, 1987 and I, I really wasn't that old. And I remember saying to my dad, I asked him three questions. Why didn't they use the music from the cartoon? Why was there no transformation sequence? And where was She-Ra? So I, 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 even as a kid, I had a few complaints for the movie. But I, I still now, I overall, I enjoy it. And especially if, if anyone uh, does not have the DVD, you should pick that up because there's a really fun uh, commentary from the director on there. That just gives you, you know, uh, a lot of little quirks that went on during the movie. Yeah, I don't remember seeing The Secret of the Sword in theater either, but I did see the live action in the theater. I don't have any cool story to tell about my viewing of it, but I do remember seeing it and being very impressed. And I still like it, even though a lot of people try to dog it nowadays. I agree. I, I still fun. find it very entertaining. As uh, for me in the live action movie, um, I did see it when it came out in the theater at a drive-in. Ooh. Actually, back in the day when there used to be drive-ins, there's still two drive-ins in my area. Yeah, they just uh, opened one here actually. Um, after we've not had one in like 15 years, but um, uh, regardless, uh, yeah, I went to see it probably uh, opening weekend. I don't really remember um, when exactly, but it was early on in its release. And uh, as a kid, was not happy with the film. I did not like it at all. I didn't like. Uh, the liberties that they had taken with uh, the storyline uh, a little bit. I was not uh, happy with the um, storyline being uh, set so uh, much on Earth and not so much on Eternia. As I've gotten older, uh, I've actually been able to appreciate the film a lot more, which I would have thought would have been the other way around, that I should have liked it more as a kid. But um, I actually enjoy the movie very, very much now. And one thing that I found out uh, recently... Uh, because of the DVD release, watching the commentary track with uh, the director, he mentions that uh, a lot of the uh, scenes uh, toward the end of the movie were filmed in Whittier, California, which um, I was living probably just maybe a mile from where most of that movie was filmed at the time oh, it was wow. being filmed. No way. And had no idea at the time. I didn't find out in, you know, until about two or three years ago when the DVD came out. But uh, oh. I was living in La Habra, California, right near the Whittier border, so it was uh, it was filmed mostly in downtown Whittier. Maybe you could have been an extra instead of um, the Masters of the Universe magazine had a contest for someone to be in the movie, and they ended up dressing the boy up like a pig, like, like a, a what? A pig warrior. You see, like one shot of him in, in the movie, and in the credits, it'll say "Pig Boy," <laughs> which um, is very strange. Oh, well, at least it got him on the Internet Movie Database, I guess. There you go. <laughs> but I really enjoyed looking back now at it. Because um, at the time, Courtney Cox and the guy that played Kevin, I wish I could remember his name at the moment, um, weren't really that popular. And now look at, you know, especially Courtney Cox. She's huge. And uh, the guy that played Kevin was on uh, Star Trek Voyager as Captain Tom Harris. He was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely. And yeah, so watching it now, it's like, oh, wow, you know, they were involved in something from my childhood, you know, the whole He-Man universe. You wouldn't think they would have anything to do with it, but 
It's kind of and cool. and of all of the the actors that appeared in that, I, though I think that uh, we really have to uh, give props to uh, Frank Landella's portrayal of Skeletor, which was oh, very very good. I think. Yeah, a lot of absolutely. people complain about what the mask he's wearing, and you know how else are you in 1987? Are you going to make a a Skeletor mask right. where he can still move his mouth? I mean. Good point. Uh, they're like, oh, it's a rubber mask. Well, you know, it's a movie. Use some <laughs> imagination while you're watching it. You know? And actually, I don't even think it was a rubber mask. If I, if I'm recalling correctly, in the commentary track, um, and I, I wish I knew how to pronounce the director's name. Is it Gary God- Goddard? Is it something like that? Yeah, something along those lines. That's how I would pronounce he mentions, it. He mentions that, uh, despite how it looks, it's actually just a whole lot of makeup. Wow. Um, on Skeletor's face. Oh uh, well, he has to perfect. at least have some type of um, plastic pieces glued to his right, face. Right, right, yeah. I'm sure there was, but I know that uh, a huge amount of it was uh, was makeup because he didn't want to take away from uh, Frank Langella's uh, facial expressions in yeah. the performance. Um, mm. Another interesting fact is a lot of a lot of fans dislike the movie, you know, because well, it's on Earth. There are new characters such as like Karg and Blade. Um, you know, there's no Snake Mountain shown, you know, things like that. And I'd just like to point out that I have one of the earlier drafts of the script because a lot of people, you know, they'll say, oh, did the writer of the of the movie even watch the cartoon? And I really think it's evident in the one of the original drafts of the script that I have that's dated about December of 1985. So this is really before this draft doesn't have She-Ra in it or anything, even though there were, you know, production drawings for She-Ra to perhaps appear in the movie. But the, the, the script was just, you know, a lot better. There's a, a bit different opening sequence. There was a different ending of how Skeletor was, you know, you know, thrown off of a cliff. There was no Karg. Beast Man had all his speaking parts. Uh, you get to see Snake Mountain. You find out why He-Man and the rest of them you know, can speak with the Earth people because he explains that his mother was from Earth. So, I mean, there was a lot of trinkets like that in it that either the writer had seen the television show or was at least given a very, very good write-up of exactly what was going on in the cartoon before he wrote Or perhaps the, the original series Bible as well could have been the... Yeah, and it's, it's just that, you know, of course he's going to make the, the movie different than the cartoon. They always mm-hmm. do that. Whether this Absolutely. is good or bad, I guess it seems to lean more towards bad. But, you know, that seems to be where they want to put their own little spin on it. Like, why see the movie when the kids can just watch the cartoon? So, Yeah, and they may, it, the, may the movie may have been uh, much more warmly accepted if they had followed the script a bit more. And probably a, a huge reason why um, it evolved into what it did was strictly budgeting. They oh, I agree. They have a lot of money to work with. I agree. Like even Castle Grayskull, when we see it, it's just wasn't is not. I believe at least in the first opening, it's just a painting. So they would have had to, uh, you know, have realistic paintings of, of you know, Snake Mountain and everything. And I guess it would have just been, you know, I mean, they were already out of budget before even finishing filming the movie. Hmm. Yeah, it was by if I recall, the number was in the millions that they were over budget. Yeah, it's wow. like, I just need one more shot. Give me one more shot. Right, exactly. Which is why, if you notice at the end, they did a really cheap thing. They had that um, lighted, uh, those colored lights rotating while He-Man and, She-Ra, or He-Man and Skeletor are having their final battle. Uh, th- that was supposed to be slightly different, especially with special effects. But instead, they just had to have, you know, lights rotating around. <laughs> right. Which, it doesn't look that bad to me, no, except when you see the... <laughs> The actual um, light fixture sitting on the floor. No. <laughs> yeah, you, you do see it in, in a lot of the shots. I would have at least, you know, uh, cropped my shots that. a little better on that one. But And probably, you know, now that you've mentioned the the, the uh, colored lights and the light fixture on the screen, all of these people who have never noticed it before are going to hate you the next time they watch the movie. Right? <laughs> Thanks, John. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm here to serve all of the fans. <laughs> Okay, now we're going to move on to perhaps the most controversial thing to happen to He-Man. Is it She-Ra? I don't think there's any perhaps about it. Well, you know, a lot of people don't like this particular change to He-Man, you know, but we have to discuss it. And that would be the new adventures of He-Man 
that Mattel came and it was basically, for lack of a better phrase, He-Man in space. Um, and I can honestly say I've never seen it and have no desire to. <laughs> but you will be forced to soon, so no! so don't worry. That's true. But I'll now, I, I believe my mother told me that there was going to be a new He-Man. Uh, found the toys in Toys R Us at the time, since I assume Children's Palace was gone by then. And I watched the cartoon. I, I, I actually woke up in the morning. I, I saw all 65 episodes uh, on my local. I believe Fox was, was airing it. Wow, I didn't realize there were that many. And it's, uh, yeah, it had a full season order of 65 episodes. Um, and, you know, I just take it as, you know, okay, He-Man in space. It's just a little off, you know, you know shot. Um, is it is it as good as the Filmation cartoons? No. Is it as good as the Mike Young production show that was out in 2000? Eh, not really. But... I still think it was was entertaining, and I really like the music, and you know the animation was pretty good. You know, it was a step up from filmation, at least with not using a lot of stock animation. And the music was done by the same people that did the music for uh, for the filmation cartoons. I mean, sure, it's completely different style, but you know, I still I, I liked it. But uh, I know Josh has some uh, very strong opinions on that, so I'd like <laughs> to hear them. Well, I haven't seen a lot of the new adventures. Um, at the time that it started in the fall of 1990, um, I was very excited that there was going to be a new He-Man cartoon. My uh, mom, as I recall, ran across it listed in the TV guide. And, uh, of course, by then, uh, just to make sure I sound come off as the biggest geek possible, I was already in junior high and still a huge Masters of the Universe fan. It never really died out. See, at least uh, I was kind me. of more still at a, an impressionable age where I was really I still liked cartoons you know, a lot. Right. You know, I me, mean, was I was watching Power Rangers, you know, in 95, so right. it shows you how young I was. For uh, for me, you know, really, I mean, the, the Master Universe and Princess of Power cartoons were the only uh, cartoons I ever watched regularly and ever really got into. Um, when the new adventures started, um, it was airing, uh, I was living in Texas at the time, and it was airing in the morning, after I uh, already had to leave to go to school. So the first few days that it was on, uh, my uh, mom had videotaped uh, several of the uh, episodes for me, and I remember watching them and pretty much being appalled by what had been done to my beloved Masters of the Universe. I think the in retrospect, the biggest um, issues with the new adventures um, was not so much the story. They they did have at least at, at the very least a token attempt to further the story that had been begun um, in the filmation cartoon. Even though there are lots and lots of inconsistencies um, from yeah, what we, I remember, we should uh, point out that they do show He Man on Eternia in the first episode. In the first episode, yeah, Queen to Marlena sort of bridge the gap. Randor is there. the pa- The palace inside, at least, looks a lot like you know the filmation palace, as do their character designs. You know, slightly modified to fit in with the style. Uh, I don't understand style. the purple hair that everyone always mentions. Uh, I don't know. I think it's actually blue. on Marlena. They, they might have the tint on their their TV. I think it's kind of blue. So, but uh, <laughs> well, either way, but you know, he certainly reveals, wasn't either of those colors in the original. He reveals his secret to his parents, and then he goes off to save the other planets. So, I mean, they did attempt to tie it in to right, and that that I could appreciate. the The biggest issue in retrospect um, for me was that. After coming from the filmation series, and of course being being blind and experiencing this all through audio, um, the acting is crucial to me when um, watching anything, and particularly uh, you know cartoons where there's a lot of voice acting, which tends to not always be as good as uh, acting on film. The acting on the uh, New Adventures was just painful to listen to. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier not liking the acting on Thundercats. Thundercats was even better than the a lot of wow. the acting on the new adventures. I can't believe you think Thundercats voice <laughs> acting, which is notorious t- even with fans of Thundercats, that it, it wasn't you know quite as good as a lot of the other cartoons in the 80s. But right. I really had no problem uh, with the voice acting in the new adventures of He-Man. I mean, you have a lot of famous voice actors, you know, right. nowadays and, and that a worked lot of on them- it. A lot of them I like. Um, you know, Gary Chalk, who was the voice of He-Man in the New Adventures, went on 
to be the voice of uh, Man at Arms in yes. uh, the new uh, 2002 cartoon oh, series, cool. and and I loved his portrayal of Man at Arms. So, uh, but he was not right for He Man, and the the acting. Um, I think the worst of all of the acting for me personally in what I've seen of the new adventures, mind you, I've only seen a handful of episodes. Um, for me personally, the worst was, uh, I wish I could remember which actor plays him, but uh, it's whoever the actor is playing the uh, New Adventures Skeletor. Campbell Lane. Yes, that's it. And uh, who, absolutely... who also appears in the relaunch of He-Man. He's, a, um, he's like a cool attack. Uh, when in the episode where uh, Trapjaw and who else was with him? Stratos. Uh, they're battling to get that Eternium. Oh, right, 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 he's right. He's the big, you know... I think they were called the Kula Talks, if I'm pronouncing that. Right. Um, <laughs> however, anyway, um, yeah, Skeletor being the the hardest one for me to uh, to stomach through the uh, through the new adventures, and so not not a fan. I will be purchasing the new adventures DVD sets to help support the brand, and I will force myself to watch them. <laughs> and uh, I may only watch the sets once. But I will own them, and I, I will at least attempt to appreciate the series for what it was. All right, now between the new adventures and the recent He-Man relaunch, that's when we, you know, basically had all the fans on the internet, and, you know, the sites were becoming popular, and, you know, a lot of us were talking and became friends, um, which we already covered, so we won't get back into that. But then, you know, lo and behold, Mattel Toys, who does own He-Man still, decided to relaunch He-Man, and they got the toy designers, the Four Horsemen, to redo the sculpts. Who had made quite a name for them with McFarlane Toys. Yes, McFarlane Toys. And, and their spawn lines. Which the company. spawn lines, of course, looked great, but fell apart. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I had a few figures. And, I mean, McFarlane Toys are known for that. But when you move to Mattel, you step up in quality. And... Um, you get these, what I like to call mini statue action figures, uh, is what we got um, for the 2000 uh, relaunch of, of He-Man. And um, we also got a new cartoon from Mike Young Productions that lasted uh, about two seasons on Cartoon 39 Network. episodes. Yeah, 39 episodes. That's why I say about, because in these days, you know, seasons aren't 65 episodes long with cartoons really anymore. Um, but still, it, it's a little short, uh, short run there. Uh, but with a lot of enjoyable uh, episodes. And uh, basically, you know, I came into it because I was just still here. And, of course, when it was announced, we were all talking about it. And, um, you know, I recorded all the episodes, watched it, collected all the toys uh, before the line was canceled. Uh, so any other thoughts on the relaunch? Uh, likes, hates? Well, I'm a huge, huge fan of the uh, relaunch, especially of the uh, toy designs by the Four Horsemen. Um, I d did enjoy the new cartoon tremendously as well, but it really was the uh, the new designs uh, for the characters that I was uh, completely enamored with. Um, it, for me, I as much as I am a huge fan of the uh, classic toy line here, separating the cartoons out from this completely for a moment... Huge fan of the classic toy line. Collect them, have countless uh, items from the original toy line. I really do much prefer the Four Horsemen's visions of the characters. Um, to me personally, they're the the definitive designs for um, the character characters. They didn't do a lot of drastic changing of the characters for the most part. It was taking the original designs and let's just make them better. And I think they did that um, extraordinarily well. For me, the uh, the new toys are, are primarily what I display in my collection, and um, I don't see that changing anytime, anytime in the near future. I was um, at the San Diego Comic-Con uh, back in 2001 for the unveiling of the new line, um, where they were uh, selling the uh, limited 500... Uh, uh, He-Man uh, statues of the new He-Man design, thankfully with the Iron Cross intact, and uh, before they decided to change the symbol on He-Man's armor, and uh, was very fortunate in uh, that the folks at the Mattel booth were, you know, very excited to see all the fans there, and uh, thought it was very interesting that, uh, you know, I 
gone to such great length to great lengths to make sure uh, I was there for the uh, unveiling of the relaunch and uh, thought it was interesting that I was blind and gave me the opportunity to go through all of the, the uh, two-ups which are the prototypes um, that the four horsemen designed before they're made into action form and uh, they let me touch and feel all the new designs I've continued uh, because of that to go back to the Comic-Con every year um, for all the all four days that the con goes on not just for the uh, masters uh, stuff, but for the everything at the convention, being a, a sci-fi fantasy fan, and uh, so masters has definitely opened doors to uh, other properties as well for me. And uh, you mentioned comic cons, and I think that's a great thing because, as well, a lot of us knew each other online for you know, t- you know, years, close to ten years, and we never met in person or anything. And the relaunch of He-Man was able to, you know, get a lot of fans to come out to the San Diego and Chicago conventions that Mattel would attend. And, you know, a lot of us got to meet each other. And I think that's a really, you know, valid point that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're friends on the Internet. That's not the same thing (laughs) as, as someone that's, you know, that lives three houses down from you. But I really think it is because, you know, it as as the Internet has evolved, so is our, you know, social lives. So has you know, how we interact with people. And I really think that that was a lot, that was great, that a lot of the fans, we got to come together, meet for the first time, um, you know, talk, you know, hang out, you know, have a good time, party or whatever. Watch out Chili's when He-Man fans attack. That's all I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) And as as sort of a little, (laughs) as sort of a little addendum to that, I think um, going along with uh, what you were just mentioning there, most of, um, maybe this will sound pathetic and uh, geeky and all of that good stuff but most of my uh, closest friendships that I have currently in my life have been because of he-man.org oh, I agree That's awesome I, I agree a lot of my good friends you know I had you know become friends with online I think it's great that you know that the internet and such things as you know message boards chat rooms you all come together because you love this certain property this idea uh, etc. And that, you know, it's a lot easier to meet people that, you know, you can get along with that share the same interests. And also, um, I was thinking about other 80s cartoon properties, and I can't really think of one where the fans have been able to get together like the He-Man fans have. Um, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not involved in the other fandoms, such as Thundercats, Transformers. I don't know if they ever get together. But I've never heard of them doing so. I think Transformers has its own convention. Um, oh, okay. Uh, but, I think part but, of it, it. Yeah. Other than that, I really can't think of any other ones that really have such a strong, you know, presence on yeah, the web. Yeah. Part of it is just that the the Masters uh, fans have, are, I think, from my experience, and I've been I have been involved in a lot of other fandoms, not necessarily '80s cartoon fandoms, but uh, I'm a huge Anne Rice fan. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and I've been involved in uh, in various other online communities over the years. And I think the by far in a way the Masters fans are the most passionate about their property. Oh, I agree. We never shut up, which is <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> which is why we're here today. So basically, this first podcast, we just wanted to introduce who we were, why we're here, and then we just wanted to you know as we did, we went kind of through the history of He-Man and inserted our you know little opinions. Uh, and barely scratched the surface, mind you. Yeah, really. Right. I mean, it's a basic overview there for anyone that might be coming into this saying like, oh, yeah, I remember He-Man. I, I had Castle Grayskull and uh, Skeletor uh, as a kid. And they might not even know uh, uh, She-Ra, New Adventures, the movie, you know, the, the relaunch, the recent relaunch. Yeah, especially the relaunch. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, yeah, a lot of I've people. I've run into so many people who were, you know, after the relaunch was over. You know, saying, oh, if I had known about that, I would have totally bought those figures. And that, mm-hmm. that passed a lot of people by, unfortunately. Yeah. And the commemorative figures as well, before the actual... Oh, very re-watch. good point. We didn't mention those. Mattel, you know, recast the a lot of the action figures and re-released them. Yeah, uh, that's... For, for, yeah, copies, replicas of the original yeah. line. And figures. I think that was, that was great, because what that did is, even if they might have lost a little money or, or whatever that happened with those, uh, because we really didn't see too many come out... But at least that created some type of nostalgic hype uh, exactly. with, for He-Man. Because, you know, you do have toy collectors 
uh, you know, like us and others that are, you know, in their 20s, their 30s, that maybe they're going and buying Star Trek toys or, or whatever they're buying. Um, they're going to go into the, the toy aisle and they're like, hey, He-Man, I had that as a kid. Look at this. You know, they'll mm-hmm. buy them. They'll maybe look it up online. They find out, oh, look, there's going to be a new toy line, new cartoons. You know, I, I think that was a great attempt. Uh, one of the better attempts uh, by Mattel to kind of raise the hype for, for He-Man returning. And that was yeah, one they of did the first job. 80s cartoons to make a return, wasn't it? Because after that, we've seen the Care Bears, Strawberry Shortcake, uh, Teenage Rainbow Mutant Ninja Bright. Turtles. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the only one really that's been continuing cartoon-wise was Transformers uh, that I can think True. of. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have things like Power Rangers still going, but that really, that wasn't 80s, that was 90s. And yeah. G.I. Joe may still have a, a toy line, but they don't have a cartoon. Right. Um, so really, besides Transformers, nothing has consistently, you know, stayed along. So one of the first definitely relaunches was He-Man. And I think that's great since he was the first, you know, cartoon specifically made to advertise a, a toy line. Exactly. So he needs to make that splash again. And perhaps we will see He-Man again in 2007 or so if they actually make the new movie that's been optioned. Uh, whether Ooh. it is good or not, we will... We will reserve opinion until we see it. <laughs> well, we can hope anyway. Um, but we'd really like this podcast to be uh, interactive with other fans as well. Um, so if you go to masterscast.com and click on submit your voice, you'll see instructions on how you can leave us a voicemail that can be played on the show. Perhaps you have a comment, a memory. You want to yell at us for something we said wrong. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get a few of those. Um, be like, hey, that's... That's I love the new adventures. What yeah. are you talking about? Or how uh, Gary Chalk didn't voice Man at Arms, and then we'll tell you, yes, he did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you click on Submit Your Voice, which is in the top top menu, there will be instructions. Um, you have to agree to the terms, which is that if you do submit the voicemail, we are allowed to play it on the podcast, so you can't get mad at us. Um, so don't say anything in your voicemail that you don't want put um, in the podcast and please keep language to a minimum <laughs> or it won't and get of played. Course, yes. And of course you can, uh, again, do all of that at masterscast.com. Yes. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. Again, I'm John Callis. Good journey. I'm Josta Lioncourt. And I'm Katie Carty, Rainbow Bright. <laughs>